Welcome to the Wine Camp podcast, where we look deeply into regenerative organic and Demeter biodynamic certified wine growing and farming. My name is Craig Camp, and I am the general manager of Troon Vineyard and author of the Wine Camp blog at craigcamp.com, where I am chronicling our regenerative mission at Troon. This is meant to be a podcast for those that aspire to, as the Regenerative Organic Alliance says, farm like the world depends on it. These interviews will be focused on our work here at Troon Vineyard in Oregon's Applegate Valley, but will also include the work of other farmers committed to regenerative agriculture. And now for today's interview. Welcome to Troon Talk, where we dig deeply into Demeter Biodynamic and Regenerative Organic Gold Certified Farming and Winemaking. Today's episode is part two of our discussion on the biodynamic preparations. The first episode delved into the field preparations, and on part two, we are looking at the compost preparations, 502, 503, 504, 505, 506, and 507. Our guests today are Troon's longtime biodynamic agricultural consultant, Andrew Beattie, who has spent his entire life engaged with biodynamics as he was born on a biodynamic farm, and Troon Vineyard and Farm Director of Agriculture, Garrett Long. Garrett has a master's degree from UC Davis in soil science and has been practicing biodynamic farming for over a decade. Hi, Garrett. It's great to return to one of our favorite topics, the compost preparations. Well, I have been looking forward to this conversation as well for the past couple of months. It's been about two months or so since we've seen you last, and we're talking about uh, the compost preparations today, biodynamic preparations 502 through 507. Um, Andrew, when I first met you 10 years ago and was introduced to the concept of biodynamic preparations, uh, it really challenged my notion of what biodynamics was all about. I think there is a spiritual component to the prep making process as well as a very practical component. And I think a lot of our conversation today will kind of bounce between those different aspects that I think were are inherent in, in the prep making. It was intended to be both practical, that is to address nutrient deficiencies or to enliven various elements of the farm or to bring biodiversity in. Um, but there is very much a spiritual component too and sort of a uh, a, a benefit to maybe the human spirit or a benefit to the practice of farming. And I think, uh, I hope that our conversation today will, will be able to balance all of those different reasons why people get into prep making. So maybe we can start with your reasons for prep making. Obviously, this is a part of the certification to become a Demeter certified biodynamic farm. You're required to apply these preparations, but actually the making of them is uh, is is really important, I think, in in guiding our whole process. So, what what are your own reasons for getting into the prep work? Well, the, I guess there would be one little um, point to make before we jump right into it. Is that when we when we talk about the compost preps, the herbal preparations that are added to our biodynamic compost, it's important to stress that we are talking about the organic forms of various uh, minerals so potassium calcium magnesium iron that we are trying to bring balance to um, into the compost so it's an important um, difference between the organic form of minerals and the mineral form of minerals and uh, the other part um, important part to stress is that when we talk about the these preps it's almost like a radiant energy that we are trying to harness within these herbs that we place in the pile um, and each one of these herbs that make up the individual preps each have their own association between a planetary influence and an organic form of mineral influence and they each bring their own radiancy within to that pile and the processes or the quantities that we're talking about are homeopathic uh, quantities um, so just to put that out there and get that cleared up at the beginning to avoid any confusion when, when we talk about the minerals 
It's not the mineral form of those minerals. Yeah. And minerals is sort of another name for, for nutrients or, or elements, sure. right? Sure. Um, and to answer your question about the reasons why we get into prep making, well, beyond the fact that it is just a pillar of biodynamic farms and it is one of the clear differences between organic farming and biodynamic farming. We've certainly found over the years that the act of making the preps, whether they are made perfectly or not, but the, the act of the farmer and the farming community to make these preps um, brings its own radiant energy into that farm. So like we were saying earlier today, if we make preps that are not of the highest quality, either through a very wet, cold winter that we can perhaps put um, a, the reason of poor quality to poor inclement weather, um, don't let that discourage you from doing it again and refining that process. Oh yeah, that, that 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 twenty inches of rain we got this year is definitely my excuse for the poor quality horns that didn't totally develop. I'm going to blame it on the weather for sure. Oh, you can always do that. <laughs> I think sometimes people think of the preparations as fertilizers, but don't you feel we are really talking about natural energies here? Absolutely. So, I guess if we go all the way back to the beginning, the the series of lectures on biodynamic farming by Rudolf Steiner. Um, the preps were discussed in lecture six. So everything that we're talking about today in this discussion was only based on indications that were made over a two-hour lecture. You know, so it's it's there's been so much more development and research over the last almost 100 odd years about the processes involved within these preps that um, yeah it's just like there's a whole wealth of knowledge there that brings its own I'm going to keep saying radiant energy quite a lot in this but it's really important to stress that these organic forms of these plant nutrients are bringing that organic processes into your compost and that's just the beginning of it, right? That's just the beginning of that um, influence on your farm. Those, when you apply that compost out onto your farm or your vineyard here at Troon, um, those processes continue. And if you want to continue that process further, the repeat application of biodynamic compost containing these six herb preparations is where you'll really find success. And I, and I think furthermore, I mean, just to add on to that, the indications that Steiner was giving were largely, as I understand it, in response to chemical fertilizers and synthetic nitrogen specifically being right. invented and then widely applied in, in, on farms across Europe. And that farm farmers were finding that their crops were imbalanced. You know, big, lush, abundant, leafy growth also attracts pests and disease. And so, as as Craig was just asking that question, you know, the these these preparations and the act of prep making is not a substitute for fertilizers. In fact, they were originally presented as a solution, an alternative to fertilizers, chemical synthetic fertilizers, as a way of bringing balance into the farm. Well, even just beyond the use of synthetics, we're, you know, if you, let's just use a practical example in biodynamics and at Troon. If we want to increase calcium within our soils, that will then increase calcium levels in our vines, then we have two ways of doing that. We can add calcium sulfate or lime or whatever, or, or and or, we can use these preparations to try and enliven 
the calcium that's within the soil and make that become more available. So in in a practical world, uh, you need to have both. You can't just have a mineral form of calcium because how is that going to be able to be translated into your plant without becoming either more available through microbial life or in a biodynamic sense bringing in another form of calcium in a homeopathic um, measurement I guess or quantity but who's to say which one has more of an effect on calcium calcium being oak bark preparation and and the the fact that these are compost preparations these herbal preparations inserted into compost piles during the active decomposition and then eventually the the maturation or the maturing of the compost um the compost itself sort of acts as as a as a delivery mechanism or almost as like a a way of of stimulating these calcium processes in the soil we keep going back to calcium but you know choose your choose your own element choose choose your mineral here um each of each of these compost preparations has particular associations with uh certain elements or nutrients um and the compost itself acts as a delivery mechanism and with that compost comes not just that intentionally prepared herbal prep that's been that spent the better part of a year in our case, uh, composting, but come, but coming with that is also this huge suite of diverse microorganisms. You know, uh, our compost is built out of landscape debris and weeds and kitchen scraps. Um, there's eggshells, there's organic dairy manure. Uh, there's some old moldy hay. There's the pumice from the winemaking process. There's and each of these materials is enlivened with a different set of microorganisms that is adapted to breaking that down. And through the composting process, that diversity sort of waxes and wanes with, uh, with factors like heat and changes in pH and changes in temperature and all these things. But ultimately what we get is, ideally, as a finished product when we're doing it well, we get this finished, year-old, well, well-rotted, well-decomposed compost that is balanced that has hopefully been washed of too much salinity that has been brought back into balance with a good carbon to nitrogen ratio etc so i see the compost as this delivery mechanism where these microorganisms are being added to the soil to help enliven it and stimulate the cycling of some of these nutrients let's start there our first episode was the field preparations 500 501 508 which are applied in the vineyard. All of these preparations we're talking about today are applied to compost. The compost is then the vehicle to take them onto the farm. What is the difference between compost, organic compost, and biodynamic compost? In in the most simplest form, the difference between organic compost and biodynamic compost is the inclusion of the compost preps into the piles. But I think it's important to stress that um, the biodynamic preps, in my mind, shouldn't just be restricted to the use on biodynamic farms. So the question is the the difference between organic compost, biodynamic compost, and um, I guess conventional compost. Um, you know, the clearest difference is the use of preps. The, the herbal compost preps in a biodynamic pile are, are not included in a, you know, what you could call an organic pile. Um, but I think it's important to stress that the biodynamic preps, in my mind, shouldn't just be restricted to the use on biodynamic farms. I think there's a great opportunity to use them um, outside of our certified biodynamic farms. Um, I guess the certified organic compost per the federal rules, um, they have a very strict guideline of the number of turns, which is, you know, physically turning the pile over, um, you know, five turns in 15 days 
with a really high temperature, minimum temperature that they want to see in consistently within those piles over those two weeks are, you know, 136, I think it is. 132 to 170 is the rate. All right. So that just using the temperature as an example of a difference in a biodynamic sense, we're going for a slow, lower temp composting process that is aerobic, but not, um, I guess the Another example would be an NO, an organic pile. They stress the thermophilic phase of decomposition, which is the heat phase. Whereas our focus in a biodynamic sense is more on the mesophilic phase, which is the slow um, process of decomposition that comes after that initial heat spike when you build that pile Um, the preps work well in the second stage of compost where they bring their balance and their energy to that Um, which is why we after we build a pile we generally have a delay in adding them to the pile and just let the pile get settled go through its heat initial heat spike um, and then we come in with the herbs. I'm glad you said that. That was, It was something that I uh, struggled with, you know, having a background in soil science and thinking that I know something about those phases that you're talking about in composting process. When you first build a compost pile and you first, you know, get the whole thing up to proper moisture, you're waking up all these microbes, they get really, really active. And as they're decomposing the materials around them, metabolism and we're all we're all doing that every moment of our lives we're breaking these carbon to carbon bonds and releasing heat and that is where the heat that comes from um, that's generated from a compost pile is actually just microbial life decomposing and, and respiring breathing out co2 all this stuff around them so initially they go through that heat spike and then as you said as the comp as their activity levels drop or get slower then the temperature also drops and as it drops down into that mesophilic range, it becomes uh, habitable by a greater range of microorganisms that are tolerant of those kind of mesophilic or those middle temperatures, as opposed to only those extremophiles, those microbes that love that hot, hot temperature. Those are the only ones thriving, and those are the only ones that are super active during that, that thermophilic or that heating phase. And so, as you're saying, our goal is to drop down into that mesophilic range before adding the preparations. And, and my thought was always like, of course, that makes sense. Why would you heat up or why would you prepare a compost pile and then take these carefully and intentionally prepared herbal preparations and put them into a steaming hot 140 degree pile where it's just gonna essentially cook out the microbial life of your of your preps. And so the, the timing of, of, of adding this preps is, is important. And in an ideal, um, uh, process of making biodynamic compost you have an opportunity to add preparations multiple times right absolutely i mean like we always say doing it once is great but if you can do it numerous times the more rhythm you have on your farm so you know building our piles and with intention of layering on you know carbon layers and nitrogen layers and you know landscape debris from within the farm the vineyard then adding the right amount of water using special um, compost covers and timing our addition of the herb preparations well that's how you're going to end up with a, a true compost that is actually of a benefit to your farm um so building compost from the right ingredients is kind of like, you know, baking a cake. You know, if you choose flour from Walmart rather than organic dairy manure from down the road, then the compost, it's great. It's still a cake and it's still a compost, but there's an opportunity there to do it better. So obviously compost is foundational to biodynamic farming. The making of the preps themselves is not that difficult once you learn the process. 
The compost program is complex and expensive, but as the foundational element of biodynamic farming, what does our composting program bring to our farm? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think I would say most importantly, it's adding microorganisms. It's adding this diverse soil life. And one thing that I think about um, as the compost goes into that mesophilic range and starts to get um, um, uh, populated by diverse microbes, it's also populated by worms. Earthworms start coming up in it when it's aged properly. And there's this diverse set of microorganisms in the guts of worms that help them break down mouthfuls of soil and get nutrition out of it. So the microbes that are left behind in worm castings or worm poop um, are, are loaded with these microbes that are specialists in that. And so I would say the delivery of the most diverse set of microorganisms that we could get out on the farm to help cycle nutrients, build organic matter, um, and, and, and help be, bring balance and resilience to, especially to the root zone of these crops is, is a primary goal of, of compost. Um, and then there's, there's other reasons as well, right? Well, of course. I mean, like we'll go back to the same conversation we've had numerous times over the years, where the three realms of soil—the you know the biological, the organic, and the mineral—well, compost is the glue that will that will bring balance, or one of the major tools that we have to bring balance into those three realms. Whereas the preps that we've been talking about will serve to bring balance of the mineral realm in an organic form into the compost then when you apply that compost you're bringing not just through the media of the compost the three realms of soil into balance but you're also adding a chance to bring the organic forms of minerals to help balance out the one mineral realm of soil by adding that additional organic form of potassium, calcium, magnesium, iron. Um, And all the micronutrients as well, which if you think about a lot of, you know, fertilizers that are, uh, you know, intended to add just maybe one or two different elements, compost actually has the whole suite of 17 essential plant nutrients and probably some other elements out there too that we don't even know about their role in the environment. But isn't the role of compost not so much that it has these elements, these nutrients, but it gives the soil, the mycorrhizal community, the ability to make these nutrients available to the plants? I mean, I think about the granite, you know, largely of a granite source, the Siskiyou Mountains surrounding the Applegate Valley here in Southern Oregon are made of granite. And if we look at the the mineralogy of granite, it essentially has all or most of those minerals that our plants need to survive, but they're bound up, they're they're rocks, they're literally rocks, and rocks are not accessible to plants directly. Plants, as well as microbes, will excrete some kind of organic acids and enzymes and things to literally weather and break down these rocks into these tiny little forms so that they can be taken up by roots. But but yeah, I, I think if I follow what you're saying, Craig, it, I think it all gets back to the soil life. It gets back to the microbiology that are specializing in breaking down those rocks, breaking down soil and releasing those minerals back to the plant. But again, it's not as simple as just chemical nutrition. It's not just this plant needs X pounds of nitrogen per year. It's about so much more than that. And something that I learned in my graduate studies at Davis is the forms of these minerals that plants take up are actually way more diverse than we ever knew. We always thought that they're in this little simple ionic form, like essentially one or just a handful of atoms, like the smallest possible charged ionic form is the only thing that plants could take up. And what modern research has shown is there's actually these huge macromolecules, almost like big proteins that contain nitrogen, yes, but have you know dozens or hundreds of individual atoms in them, much larger than we ever thought a plant root could drink up. And I think it's it's some of these more diverse macromolecules that are mobilized or created by the relationship between plants and microbes and that mineral form that are being um, sort of unlocked by what compost brings to the soil. Farming the soil, right, Andrew? It has something to do with it. Yeah, yeah, we try and keep that in our forefront. Um, 
but I think we've been and this is a wonderful conversation but I think we've been talking about these these uh, preps in abstract I think we need to go into you know what these individual and I'm going to put in air quotes here because we don't have video but each of these preps six different herbs yarrow chamomile oak bark dandelion stingy nettle and valerian all have individual relationships to both a mineral or a group of minerals or it can be one or two minerals but also has a relationship to the what one could call the esoteric or the astral body which are which is key another foundation of biodynamics is bringing in influences from beyond your farm right so everybody knows we bury horns on a descending moon we plant cabbages on a descending moon but there is much more opportunity out there than simply bringing in the most immediate effect effects uh, from our nearest planetary body which is you know if everybody knows it's our moon uh, these preps if we just they all have um, individual names numerical names which are just they're just yarrow is 502 50, 503 4 5 6 and 7 are the compost preps five of those are humus based um, materials that are processed in individual uh, manners the seventh uh, is a liquid tincture that we make out of valerian that's applied not just in the pile after building but is also applied as a fine mist around the pile um, if we just take the dandelion preparation 506 we can see that this preparation um, is bringing in the effects of calcium and silicic acid it is has an astral association with um, Jupiter we can then see that harvesting the flowers in the morning before they are open, we have an opportunity to dry them slightly. We then uh, place these dandelion flowers in a cow's mesentery, which is the organ that contains the digestive organs um, in one area. We then bury this in the fall. Then we lift, so it spends the fall, winter, and spring in the ground. Then we lift it up, and that will form our uh, astral organic form of calcium and silicic acid that we then add back into the pile that when applied the compost pile that when that compost is applied we are intending to continue that radiancy of that organic form silicic acid and calcium and i mentioned just the relationship with jupiter you know you look at a a, a dandelion that's fully opened and gone to seed where well, it's a perfect sphere and looks um you know very much like a planet we have these indications from Steiner in those initial lectures followed by numerous years of further uh, research and development where we can really see that these plant nutrients have specific relationships to specific flowers that have specific relationships to specific planets.
that in turn reflect back into certain uh, flowering plants. So I'm just going to use Jupiter as the example of reflecting white and red flowers. I have a very close association with those uh, colored flowers and coincidentally vines flowers are, are white. So we can see that um, well, I, I mean, I don't have to talk for ages about this, but you can see where people turn, if they have a calcium issue, well, let's just put some calcium sulfate out. It's a heck of a lot easier. But is it the way that you can really fix the problem that you're trying to fix? Or are you simply putting a Band-Aid on your problem but not addressing it? So with these preparations we are using these individual herbs processed in individual ways that uh, work to bring in that astral body onto your farm yeah i think i think maybe another way to to think about that is you know in the comparison of putting out a fertilizer versus using you know intentionally prepared compost to use your Band-Aid metaphor, uh, fertilizer is a one-time addition that'll last for maybe at best a couple of years to feed your plant directly. Compost is really seen as feeding the soil, right? We are regenerating soil health by enlivening the soil, returning soil microbes back to it, by adding nutrition, by building organic matter. All of that is adding this organic form of nutrition that, that you're talking about back to the soil so that, again, those relationships between plants and microbes can continue to grow, um, again, largely through the plants supporting the microbes. They're releasing carbon into the soil that the microbes are using as an energy source. They're using that to break down the soil around them and feed the nutrients back to the plant. That symbiotic relationship either doesn't exist or has been inhibited by the use of fertilizers. If plants have all the phosphorus and nitrogen they need, they're not going to be feeding those carbon resources to the soil microbes who will then in turn release those nutrients back to the plant. They just don't invest that energy and, and research has really demonstrated that again and again. So really what we're trying to do with these preparations and with compost is enliven the soil, not give it a one-time fix or sort of a temporary band-aid fix, but really regenerate soil health for generations. Isn't this all about natural systems? You're trying to support the natural system, not interject yourself into it. Correct. And it doesn't have to be an and or, you know, like it, it so just for, we're talking about calcium here. Um, we also used calcium sulfate uh, when we developed new blocks out here. Yeah. But that is not going to solve our calcium problems it will help bring more balance to it the the soil sphere but for the long-term benefits you have to turn to the organic form yeah and i think to also just just to justify elements. that fertilizer addition that we did of adding gypsum or that calcium sulfate out to the fields and the development of these new vineyard blocks and also to our cider apple orchard or vegetable garden we tried to build the calcium stores in the soil by adding this mined mineral version of calcium to it but that was all driven by soil testing that was driven by data we found that you know even though i was just talking about the fertility of the granite around us of of this of these decomposed granite soils Calcium is actually one um, that is closely associated with magnesium in the sense that we think about the calcium to magnesium balance and that they interact in the soil very similarly. They're a similar sized ion, they're similar charge cation, but but um, and so and so they will compete in the soil if there's if there's calcium and magnesium, um, of which there's always some balance our calcium to magnesium ratio is low. So we tried to boost that. We saw that it was low in soil tests. We tried to add that to the soil to initially bring balance to what our plants in what is admittedly all forms of agriculture are admittedly a, a sort of a contrived version of it. Biodynamics presents a framework in which we can try to work with nature or sort of coexist by working with these natural processes, building 
building nature, but overlaid our agricultural goals of harvesting a crop, feeding our community, nourishing ourselves, providing jobs, all of these elements that are a part of agriculture. Making good wine. Making, <laughs> Just putting that out there. Absolutely. Um, yeah, all of, all of these, all of these are, are goals of agriculture. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're really trying to work with nature and create the most natural, quote unquote, um, system possible. And biodynamics is really a framework for that. But we, we try to do so in a practical way, in a data-driven way, where we have these resources at our disposal, like soil test labs, to be able to analyze the, the composition of, of all of these elements. And we know, again, from research and the, and the you know, hundreds of years of agricultural research that we know that plants need elements in different amounts. They need more nitrogen than just about any other element out there and so we we know where we knew going into it that our calcium was low here in our soil so that was there was some initial justification for adding that that building that reserve that soil reserve of calcium and then layering on top of that then we start start getting to everything we've been talking about the role of of of, of compost and microorganisms in maintaining that balance and keeping that calcium in the system All right and just to add some more detail to these the of these preps that we're talking about um yarrow preparation 502 is the the number for that uh ground um yarrow flowers are harvested in the well harvested in the morning ground uh then placed in a uh, in a stag's bladder and hung up in the summer months then placed in the ground for the fall winter and early spring and then lifted up that forms our organic uh, form of sulfur and potassium works to balance those out but we get lots of questions about why these animal i guess you could call them sheaths that we use um, around these herbs these indications were from steiner in the sixth lecture i think it was an initial um, indication was using a stag, uh, and specifically a stag, who everyone knows they have large antlers that are very skittish. They are all up in their mind. They are more in the heavens than they are on their on the ground on the earth. They are very, um, you could call an astral body we connect that influence or that energy with the herb form or the organic form of potassium and um, sulfur we then combine those two through the actual organ of um, you know, it's connected with the kidneys, it's cleaning, it's keeping the body safe, it's removing um, contaminants, I guess you could call them, keeping the blood healthy. We then combine those two um, realms, so the animal realm and the plant realm, with a connection to the astral body through the antlers, then the process of hanging in the sun, capturing the solar sun energy, buried in the fall, capturing that in-breath in the fall, digesting, decomposing, and almost considering the in-breath of the winter months, then capturing that early spring transition from winter dormancy into first flush in our vineyards, lifted up, then when you apply that material, which is a very dark, you know, you know, coffee ground texture material at very dilute uh, homeopathic quantities, so one gram or five grams, something like that, per ten tons of compost, you've you, the 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 idea is to capture all those elements, combine them into a humus product material then get that out on your land first once through compost 
then through repeat use of compost over the years, you then build that rhythm. I think I think a question that I get a lot is 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 where you started of, of why why those animal sheaths and also why those specific six herbs you know why 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 those and, and I've I've started to think of them as as they're sort of masters they're they're like they're specialists in their in their relationships with these elements right and and I think of maybe most importantly one of the one of the just key terms that stuck out with me in my about decade practice of of biodynamics is relationships the relationship between form and function the relationship between form and particular elements is apparent you know we're talking about the yarrow preparation right now and if you can maybe close your eyes and imagine the yarrow plant Achillea millifolium. It means like like a thousand leaves. It, it has you know a really really uh, kind of fern like dense leaf structure, but really the blossoms are are what are used in the preparation rather than the leaves. The blossoms are presented not unlike the antlers of the male deer. They reach for the heavens. The the plant the stems of the plant itself branches out and creates multiple little clusters of flowers within those flowers that are all aligned in a plane sort of uh, parallel if you will to the heavens and parallel to the earth below this plane of yarrow blossoms is presented like i said like like the like the antlers of a deer and so there appears to me to be this relationship or this similarity between the presentation of the yarrow blossoms and the presentation of the antlers what what is can you talk a little bit more about why the marriage of of those two what is that relationship between form and function both in the yarrow prep and 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 in general in the selection of the animal sheath and the and the herb that it's paired with sure so just one little maybe it's not a caveat but in the lecture where steiner gave these indications of the plant he was very forthcoming and said, you can always substitute. Always use, there's another plant or another cultivar that will work well on your farm. Go ahead and try. He really try it out. Experimentation. So a lot of this is um, initial indication. But to answer your question, form has a very, um, plays a very important role in these plant selections. So if we just use um, what is called 504, the stinging nettle, um, that plant, well, as we all know, we all drink, you know, nettle tea. If you have an upset stomach, which brings a lot of um, rhythm and balance to imbalanced systems. But when you actually look at the stem of that plant, it's very angular, it's very structured, it's very square. Uh, corners very true corners so combining um, these inherent you know qualities both in form nettle being structured very true corners through that decomposition and that processing of that um, form you may bring balance to your imbalanced system by adding that form. So there's a whole, that's a whole nother conversation that you can talk for many hours about, um, yeah, the individual forms of these, these plants, but the qualities and the energies that they bring um, are where you'll get your benefit. So we kind of tackled 506, the dandelion preparation, and 502, the yarrow preparation. Which one do you want to talk about next, Andrew? Uh, well, I think we should do it in numerical order. Yeah, let's go back to the beginning. 502, we just did that. 503, chamomile, harvested uh, early spring, the animal sheath uh, is cow's intestines associated with calcium both 
are in the color of the flower but in the form they are we fill the intestines with chamomile flowers ground then buried in the fall lifted very similar way as the 502 uh, lifted um, in the springtime and that's our organic form um, of calcium again we then turn to 504 which was the nettle one we just touched on that one actually doesn't have a uh, animal sheath uh, we just bury uh, where we harvest the whole plant before before flowering so in its vegetative growth ideally or vegetative stage that's ground up into a fine uh, texture that's buried in the ground for a full year uh, in a clay you know terracotta pot something like that that is a, a balancing um, or helps to balance iron magnesium that push pull and also just add form like we said to an imbalanced system so it's a very I think Steiner called it like a jack of old trade right it's kind of you can drink it if you want <laughs> if you have an upset stomach um, then we go to 505 oak bark 3% give or take calcium within the oak bark uh, that is harvested um, yeah, usually in the spring but it doesn't I'm not so particular about the time of year for harvesting that's actually uh, ground and placed into a ideally a ruminant um, animal's skull that goes through a year of um, sort of transitioning or composting or transforming um, in a very interesting enough that's the only one that goes through an anaerobic uh, decomposition everything we've been talking about in most everything else of biodynamics is the in the aerobic realm uh, that uh, preparation associated with the planetary body of the moon brings in uh, high uh, lunar influences then we go to the terac the dandelion uh, 506 which we've talked about um, then the final one uh, is the valerian that also doesn't have a animal or um, a sort of period of time within the ground is the valerian officinalis that we harvest the flowers pre-petal fall um, so when they're still um, you know they haven't hardened off that we make our uh, tincture out of so we harvest a whole bunch of them and we end up with a hundred mil or something like that you know it can be very again it's like the quality not quantity right Exactly. Exactly. So we harvest the flowers. Some people make it into like a little pesto type of structure, um, and then, as you said, go through a metal press that you tie in once every hour or every thirty minutes, and you get another couple mil. And then, you know, patience is a virtue, you know. But you end up with a very um, uh, floral sweet smelling um, material that we then apply outside or both inside and outside of the pile of the compost pile uh, there are like everything there are many different opinions on timing and placement and when they should be put in and where they should be put in and in what order in what order and you know yada 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 but we place about five grams or a teaspoon say in, in American uh, of each prep per 10 tons into the pile by about 
what would you say maybe a foot deep or two feet deep i usually use my my the tips of my fingertips to my elbows i'd say for me it's closer to two feet deep but elbow okay. deep in the in the compost yeah. pile and our piles just so people can visualize the pile that we're talking about are 14 feet wide 60 feet long five and a half feet high so we add around about four uh, teaspoons of each preparation um, into the pile uh, we do three on what do we do three on one side three on the other uh, people can get very creative on what number they put on each each uh, side and the order that they do it but I'm a believer in the process of doing it uh, is a good place to start and if you want to refine from there sounds great and then, and then, um, you know, we talked about this opportunity to add perhaps multiple times, you know, the, the composting process. So you talked about uh, sort of prepping the pile, as we say, prepping the compost pile is that initial um, insertion of these six preparations, both inside and then, um, you know, sort of showering this valerian blossom, fermented valerian blossom extract mist over the outside. The process of composting then continues and as I understand, the role of the preparations is to sort of guide that process. Yes, we're trying to enliven and make available these mineral elements within the pile, but I think of them as sort of more of almost a spiritual or energetic guide to the composting process. I mean, they're more like, they're, they're kind of like stewards, right? They're just, they, they keep the compost... Um, composting in the right manner so I think using them as a guide is a good uh, illustration of their process that they bring to that pile for sure but I think it's important to for us to just you know in our management of viticulture at Troon or the growing of apples or your vegetable garden or your cut flower gardens or your landscape is to we, we use both the analytical side of lab testing and chemical analysis we also use this organic um, more biodynamic processes but I think it's important to stress that if we just view these preparations from a purely ana analytical scientific uh, viewpoint then you know we're being kind of crazy right we are putting chamomile in an intestine in an analytical view that is a pretty silly thing to do but once one considers um, the reasons for doing it that we've spoken about over this the past few minutes you can really begin to see that there is some method to our madness and that method to our madness is really reflected in the balance of our vine, apple, vegetable, animal health. So is that all due to these six herbs? Likely not. But using these herbs as stewards to guide and enliven our compost, the, the, the repeat application of that compost is where you will find balance in your system. Yeah. I would, I would also, you know, sort of, I feel this need to almost justify the practices sometimes because the skeptics or the critics are sort of, you know, suggesting that biodynamics or the preps specifically can be unscientific and something that I like to remind people of and, and, and acknowledge is that even though it wasn't explicitly said by Steiner and with the utmost respect to him and recognizing that he was, you know, a white Austrian philosopher in Central Europe in the earliest 20th century, I think what he is invoking is thousands and thousands of years of human evolution and experimentation with herbal medicine from cultures all around the world that were likely colonized by Europeans. And the, that knowledge, that wisdom that is 
built into nature that our ancestors, that indigenous people all over the world for tens of thousands of years have been using these specific plants and specifically the yarrow, the nettle, the chamomile, these herbs that Steiner called out as sort of nature's healing herbs, these have been used as medicine that have been used to catalyze physiological change or healing in the human body for centuries, for millennia. And I think, I think as a justification for the selection of those herbs for as a justification for their role in sort of stewarding or shepherding the decomposition of a compost pile, again, at sort of first blush sounds unscientific and sounds a little crazy, frankly. But I think when you really consider not just the past hundred years of this agricultural experiment of using industrial synthetic chemicals and pesticides in agriculture, but you instead look at the tens of thousands of years of human history and, the, and, and our relationship with these, with the healing properties of these herbal remedies to bring them into our practice of agriculture is to do what our ancestors have done for thousands of years, which also includes looking to the stars and the moon and planetary rhythms to guide the timing of some of these practices. So again, what, what feels sort of at first glance as, as, as crazy in terms of the scope of modern agriculture and, and how technologies have advanced arguably beyond these things, we, we look back to you know, the reason why they were um, initially used as healing remedies and try to apply them to our agriculture to heal our fields and, and heal ourselves and ultimately I think our relationships with our communities and and and, and maybe our our relationships with planetary health right absolutely I mean I was just while you were speaking I was just thinking that um, to tie it into homeopathic medicine because we are talking about homeopathic uh, quantities here in these preps you know, when one of my kids will fall over, fall off their bike and scratch their knee, well, we don't go into, like, putting a synthetic, um, you know, ointment on there. We go and we put calendula on it, right? And the fact that that actually heals that cut within a couple of days is proof, in my mind, as a parent, that homeopathic remedies do actually work and that's just a practical obvious observation now to translate that into farming well we don't have to fully understand everything about how these preps work i don't have to fully understand how calendula heals a cut on my kids but the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. There's a lot about agricultural science that is not well understood. Many things we don't know the answers to. I like to think of biodynamics as respecting what we don't know. You have to approach farming with a certain amount of humility. <laughs> like we are putting our like analytical mind onto a plant that's grown in the environment. Well, there's, a, there's only so much we can really know about that. We might think we know everything, but yeah, we kind of don't. I, I actually think that there there's, um, for me personally, I think there's a benefit of sort of like um, a comfort maybe of, of living in that sort of gray zone, that, that unknown zone and having a little bit of faith knowing that the proof will be in the pudding or the proof will be in um, that, that calendula bandage or the proof will be in that glass of wine that's reflective of place. It's okay for me to not understand the quantum physics behind the energetics of what's really happening inside that compost pile by the you know uncountable trillions of microbes that are interacting with these preparations and all the diverse materials we put in there. I'm okay actually not understanding the 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 total complexities of it because I think our our planet and soil health and all of this and human health is is all uh, very very complex and inextricably linked between biology chemistry physics geology all of these we're trying to uh, interpret to the best of our abilities but I think when something's working like calendula that heals a wound or 
a yarrow preparation that helps you know un- unlock nitrogen in the soil when the when the outcome is what we intend it to be even if we can't perfectly connect a to b or maybe our best most modern sensitive scientific instruments cannot detect or explain how we got from a to b we still know that we got to that that final position that and achieve that that goal of of balance or of healing right radiant energy within the preps themselves as we've discussed bring um certain plant nutrients alive and become more receptive and more open to being um taken up by plants in my own sense of working with the individual preparations is they actually work not just on the compost but they actually work through their energy radiant energy into the farmer themselves right they're actually not just being stewards of these um uh nutrients elements or astral bodies they're actually being students or stewards as well um on ourselves as Garrett mentioned as the farmer or the the person making them so it's a chance to um, appreciate that energy well you know as I started to say earlier I think the one of the one of the real benefits of the preps is is getting you out into your fields and, and really connecting observing those rhythms um, Biodynamics has come a long way in the last hundred years. You know, 1924 was the year Steiner gave this initial week-long course, and we're on the precipice of the hundred-year anniversary of that introduction to biodynamics. Um, In that hundred years, there's been enormous experimentation, and I would argue uh, lessons and sort of benefit to those practitioners who experiment. Those who get out into you know, whatever your context may be, the redwood forests of Northern California or the Great Plains or anywhere that you are in the world, you have a very unique context. And within that ecological setting, you have unique plant communities, animal communities, and all of these are reflective of that time and place. To get to get out into your farm organism and go truly immerse yourself in it is an opportunity to, with humility, learn something from nature, to be open to it. And I think, again, if we think about the tens of thousands of years of human evolution and recognition of particular plants having healing properties or some that maybe are toxic or even deadly, this is learning from nature, nature as a teacher, right? And so I think the prep work for me is... Our, our, our lessons, our, our, our opportunities to humbly approach my relationship with nature and these elemental beings and hopefully learn how to, one, become a better farmer and, two, a better, a better person, you know, uh, uh, more generous, more humble. Um, and, yeah, to me, there's, there's, uh, there, I think there's real, there's real teachings in the prep work. Um, in the, in the act of doing, yeah, the, the initial indications were exactly that. That was there was over and done in nine days, right? So that is not the beginning and the of, and the end of biodynamics and everything that we know about it. It's just the foundation stone, right? The Peter Proctor moved it forward in his way with his barrel compost and Maria Toon has moved us in a, a much more informed direction using the uh, off-earth uh, influences from the sun or planets or constellations. Then there's the, the practitioners of biodynamics that have made those indications work for their individual system and not one of them is going to be the same. And we certainly can't preach that to any other farmer, whether they're organic, biodynamic, or conventional, that, you know, come to our side because we're doing it right. 
we're just we're doing it within the within the best way that we understand and the, with the tools that we have and identifying areas to improve and further develop and if somebody else comes and looks over the fence and wonders why our vines are somewhat you know relatively healthy then maybe they'll ask why and we can tell them why it's you've got to put chamomile in an intestine right <laughs> we are happy to share this podcast with you from true vineyard a demeter biodynamic and regenerative organic certified winery in oregon's applegate valley we farm like the world depends on it and produce authentic naturally crafted wines we will be sharing these in-depth podcasts several times a month to learn more i encourage you to visit our website at truevineyard.com and those of the Regenerative Organic Alliance at regenorganic.org and Demeter Biodynamics at demeter-usa.org. Thanks for sharing our voyage to regenerative agriculture with us.